This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Left off in the middle of letter number 29 The Alter Rebbe was revolutionary. He wrote the Tanya, which was revolutionary, but he also wrote the Code of Jewish Law. The Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. It's called the Shulchan Aruch Arav. His name is Shnei Ur. The two lights brought the light of the revealed part of the Torah by writing a Shulchan Aruch, um, a halacha with the reasons behind it, which is incredible and is the authority for all Hasidim all over the world and the uh, genius of the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch is legendary and the Tanya and now here in this letter in the Tanya is going he's explaining what's so special about learning the laws of the Torah there's something very special learning Torah in general is special But there's something extraordinarily special. When you learn, in the Torah itself, you learn the halacha, the ruling, the laws of the Torah, the code of Jewish law, the rules of the Torah. And that's how he started out the letter, that the the laws of the Torah are referred to as the crown. The crown. The royal crown. Which is on top which symbolizes the highest level. So within the Torah itself, the crown of the Torah is the halach. And so too, Elio in the Academy of Elio, he taught, was taught, that whoever learns halachot, the laws of the Torah every day, is promised that he will have a share in the world to come. It doesn't say if he studies Torah. If he says specifically, specifies if he studies the laws of the Torah, Kalashon Halachat. When we say that, Halacha itself, every single day at the end of Dabn. And then, also the rabbis say that even if you study, if a person doesn't have the opportunity to study Torah day and night, but if you study Mishnah, one chapter in the Mishnah in the morning, and one chapter in the Mishnah, in the evening you fulfill the mitzvah, the obligation of studying Torah day and night, and that he singles out here studying the Mishnah. It doesn't say studying scripture studying Midrash, studying the Mishnah, which is basically the laws. The Mishnah spells out the laws of the Torah. So why, what's so unique about the laws of the Torah that makes it head and shoulders above the crown of the Torah? The crown, it transcends the head. It transcends every other part. It's on top. It rests on top. It symbolizes royalty. What's so unique so different about the laws of the Torah versus the rest of the Torah. Yes, it tells me what to do and I need to know what to do and what not to do. But why studying 
the laws of the Torah. Just by studying the laws of the Torah, I am promised I will have a share in the world to come. Every day I'm promised I'll have a share in the world to come. What's, what's so unique about the laws of the Torah? So he started out explaining, quoted the Arizal. The Arizal said that why that the neshama, every soul has to come down into this world through many reincarnations just in order to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. Why is it important for us to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs? Because every mitzvah is a garment. So we have 248 limbs, 365 veins, together 613. So every part of us has to be covered by this garment. Why is it important for us to have this garment? He says, because otherwise, if we don't have this garment, we will not be able to receive the pleasure, the revelation of the infinite. Because no matter how great the soul is and how deep and how sublime and how spiritual the soul is, the soul is finite. It's a being, it's an entity, a spiritual entity, but an entity nonetheless, separate and apart from the infinite, from Hashem. So it's impossible for the soul to receive the revelation of the infinite. Otherwise we would just be incinerated, we would just cease to exist. We just couldn't exist. We'd be completely obliterated by the revelation of the infinite. We'd be completely obliterated. So in order to receive the revelation in the world to come, in order to receive the revelation, even the Garden of Eden, to receive the revelation of godliness of the infinite, it's impossible. Especially after Mashiach comes, the the revelation of the infinite, unless we are fully clothed. It's like looking at the light of the sun. It's impossible to look at the light of the sun directly. It'll blind you. And that's a limited light. And you can't look at it directly. You have to look at it through a curtain through a sc- uh, screening, uh, yeah, sunglasses or something. So, so too, it's impossible for us to look at the infinite light directly. We need a, a screening. That's why Moshe, before he went up to the mountain, says he went through the cloud. He had to go through the cloud. As holy as Moshe was and as refined as he was, he just couldn't receive the light directly. In order to go up to heaven and to encounter Hashem, he had to go through the cloud. So this is like a shield, a protection. Otherwise, it's too, it's too intense, too powerful. And what is the shield? The shield comes from the mitzvah itself. The mitzvah itself, when you do the mitzvah, the mitzvah draws down the infinite light, but the mitzvah also gives us the garment. It draws down and it also gives us the garment from the light itself. It gives us the garment that enables us to be able to... So the mitzvah itself accesses and draws down the infinite, but the mitzvah has the ability to, it gives us the garment that enables us to be able to receive the infinite without being obliterated. And like a what? Like a keli. Well, it's like a garment. It's more like a, uh, like a parable. Parable is able to contain a deep concept. Without the parable, it's like a garment. Without the garment, I can't receive it. It's just too deep. We'll just with a garment, I'm able to hold on to it. I'm able to receive it. Because the, the, the life force that Hashem creates the world, here we're talking, it's not the infinite light. But here we're talking about to be able to receive the infinite light. That's through Torah mitzvot. Only through Torah mitzvot do you draw down the infinite light. But when you draw down the infinite light, it also provides the garments with which we're able to enjoy the revelation and the pleasure that we receive, and the infinite thirst and pleasure that we receive from encountering and ex- to experience the infinite light. 
And that's why it's imperative in order for us to be able to live to see Mashiach, in order for us to be able to be able to receive the revelations of Mashiach, only the souls are fulfilled all 613 mitzvot will be able to receive the infinite light without being completely obliterated by this revelation. And that's why it has to be all 613. You know, that's the nature of will. Will, you can't fulfill somebody's will or wishes 99.9%. You know, will is either 100% or it's nothing. Can't be half pregnant. You are or you are. You did what I wanted, you didn't do what I wanted. But I did 99 steps correct. But one step I didn't do. You followed your directions. You followed instructions. Do 100 steps. You followed 99. Just the last step, instead of a right, you made a left. <laughs> it's very nice. <laughs> but you're nowhere. You have nothing. <laughs> you spelled out everything on the web, but you forgot the dot before the come. Okay, you lost, <laughs> lost inside of it. But I did everything else. Yes, very nice. I sympathize, I empathize. You have nothing, you have zero. You did what I want, you didn't do what I want. But I did everything, one little minor detail I didn't do. So, it doesn't work then. If the store isn't exactly the way I want it, I'm out of here. 99.9 doesn't do it for me. And those who forget it are out of business very quickly. <laughs> If they have your ear tuned to the customer. That's why Apple is so great. You know, they listen to what the customer wants. Most businesses, they don't care what the customer wants. They do what they want. And they're very quickly out of business. It's, you do what I want, you didn't do what I want. But it doesn't, well, 90%, 80%. It doesn't work that way. It's, it is yes or no. So Hashem wants all 613. You can't tell Hashem, well, I'm doing 612. It's very nice. But it's not what I want. I want 613. You're telling me you did 612. Very, very nice of you. But I'm sorry, you missed the boat. You're not in. You're out. It can't be such a thing. Every soul has to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. It's impossible, so you come down a few, few reincarnations. Thank God we're the last reincarnation. We're not pushing it off. There's no more pushing off. We, we already went through all of that. This is it. The time is now here. Now you and I, this is it. Mashiach now. There's no tomorrow. But we have to go through all these stages. Or if the king fulfills it, he fulfills it for the sake of all the Jewish people. Because no matter how many reincarnations, you can't be a king. There are only a handful of kings throughout the, throughout the history. So it would be physically impossible to do the numbers. And the same would apply also to a high priest. Some things you just can't fulfill. It's impossible. And all the mitzvot of a Kohen. So other places it says that in addition to the idea of reincarnation, there's also the concept of, it's called Ibur. Ibur means like a visitation, a soul visitation. That your soul visits, another soul visits your soul and becomes part of your soul. Tem sometimes temporarily, sometimes for a day, sometimes for a week, sometimes for a month. You have a sense that there's a presence in your soul. Not a dibuk, but in a positive sense, that there's a higher presence. That's, this is not me. Where is this coming from? There's a, a, an alertness, a sharpness, an awareness, a depth, a, a sensitivity, which it's not me. I know it's not me. This is something It's beyond me. But you get a visitation. Sometimes you merit it because you do a special mitzvah and you merit the visitation of a very holy soul. Or in order, to, in order for you to be able to fulfill all 613 mitzvot, sometimes you can get the visitation of a soul of a priest, a soul. So 
whatever it is, there are different ways how, how it works out. That your soul makes a visitation in the soul of a priest. You know, your pre- a previous soul makes a soul that passed away. Makes, so that therefore that soul is able to acquire the garments by the, by the mitzvah, by the Kohen fulfilling his mitzvah. He's doing it not only for himself, but also for the visiting soul. So there are all different types of ways of working it out. But the bottom line is, every single Jew has to go through. And that's why it's, we, have, we go through, it's very traumatic for the soul to come back into this world. To go through the whole thing, oh, I have to do this again? <laughs> it's so risky. It's, so, it's from the peak to the abyss. It's a roller coaster ride and there's no guarantees and we can mess up and it's so painful and it's so traumatic and why put the soul through, the, through this torture? But it's, 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 it's necessary because it's the only way for the soul to fulfill all 613 mitzvot to acquire all the garments because unless you're fully shielded, unless you're fully, you haven't fulfilled the will of Hashem so you don't have the will of Hashem. You can't divide the will in Hashem. It's total, it's all or nothing, literally. Not 99.9%. It's 100% or it's nothing. Either you do all 613 mitzvot. This lifetime, with the accumulation of this lifetime together with previous lifetimes. I wonder where exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> or, and then you receive the divine, the infinite light, and then you also have the garments to protect you in order to receive it. You know, it's like when they go into, when, when you go into a hazardous area which has radiation, if you're not totally protected, if the shield, if the suit doesn't totally protect you, if there's one place that's open, you're dead. You can't handle it. It's too intense, too powerful. So you have to be protected. You know, when they go in outer space, they wear special, special shields to protect them. Otherwise, you're bombarded by these intense lights. You can't handle it you know, radiation. So we need this protection. You need a total protection. Every part of you has to be protected. You can't leave one organ or one uh, um, vein exposed. Everything has to be completely covered up and, and protected. So you have to fulfill all 613 mitzvot over many lifetimes, multiple lifetimes, in order to be able to draw down the infinite light. Because then I did exactly what Hashem wanted. I fulfilled His will, His wish. And then you also have the shield and the protection that enables you to receive the revelation, which is the pleasure. The revelation of the infinite. And to retain your identity and to receive this infinite bliss, this infinite thirst and pleasure and desire for Hashem. And that's the reward for the mitzvah that we draw down this infinite level of Hashem and we get and we're able to receive some of this uh, pleasure, some of it in the world to come, in the afterlife, and, and ultimately after Mashiach comes, when godliness will be revealed and we will be able to receive, derive infinite pleasure from this infinite revelation now he's going to explain that the garment is what he calls the external level and the pleasure is what he calls the internal level. The will of a person and the pleasure of a person, that's really the person himself. You know, the intellect 
and the emotions, your character and your emotions, and your understanding, comprehension, in comparison to the will and the pleasure, it's just external. It's superficial. It's almost like a rationalization. The intellect rationalizes my desire. The reason, I need a reason to explain why I want this. And that's why it's, we see the intellect is very interesting. It seems to be very fickle. For example, right in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning, Hashem says, I wanted this, the end of the book of, uh, the end of the first uh, reading, the Bereshis, the first Torah portion, says, Hashem says, I want to destroy the world. I want to wipe out the world. I'm going to bring a flood. Why? Because man is like born with an evil inclination and man is full of folly and therefore I want to press the delete button, start all over again, wipe everything out, start all over. Fast forward, the next Torah portion, Noah, after the flood. Hashem makes a covenant with Noah, the rainbow, I'm never ever going to destroy the world again. Why? Because man is born with an evil inclination. So make up your mind. Is this a reason to destroy the world? Or is it a reason to sustain the world? To save the world? Preserve the world? The answer is, it's almost like an excuse. It's a rationalization. This is what I want. Now, I have to justify it, I have to rationalize it, I have to explain it. Okay, so this is the reasoning that makes sense to me. Why do I want this? Because my will turns, now I want to save the world. All of a sudden, that same reason becomes a reason for me not to destroy them. Because it's really, it's really just the influence of the will. The will is the essence, the will is the person. The intellect, the understanding is almost like a rationalization, excuse, a reasoning, a that's not the essence of the matter. The essence of the matter is because this is what I desire. This is what I want. And that's why we see the power of the intellect. If you, it says you should study Torah. Study those areas in Torah that you naturally want, that you desire, that you enjoy. Because your understanding will be in a different level. You study parts of Torah that doesn't just... Personally, you can't relate to it, you don't connect with it, it does, you have no desire for it, it's a, then you won't be as successful. It doesn't enter your head, it doesn't... But study a part of Torah that you have a natural inclination, that you desire, that you really want, it opens your mind wide open. It goes in, it sinks in, you understand it, you absorb it. You, you. Even people who are born without great intellect, because they had a strong willpower, they just wanted so desperately. They had such a desire to learn and to study and to understand. Even they had rocks in their head. But by their sheer willpower, they just busted their head open and they became geniuses. So you see the power, willpower really controls and is in charge. That's the person. Willpower is you. Intellect is not you. 
2 plus 2 is 4, it's an idea, it's a concept. It doesn't tell me anything about the person who understands it. The communist scientist understands 2 plus 2 is 4, the capitalist scientist understands, the Republican, the, the, the Democrat. It's an idea, it's a concept, it's a pure idea, abstract idea. But the will, that's personality, that's you. What makes the desire? You. Why is it important? Because I want it. It's not about the object, it's me. This is what I want. So willpower tells me about the person. Personality, the individuality, the person, the, the person behind the intellect and the person behind the emotions. It's the will. So will is really like the essence of the person. And what is behind the willpower? Pleasure. The two go hand in hand. Where there is pleasure, there is will, where there is will, there is pleasure. One is external and one is internal. Will is external. I desire something. I desire someone. I desire... It's me directing myself towards something. I want something. I desire something. I aspire for something. So I'm directing myself towards something. Someone, something. A goal. This is what I want. But I want to accomplish this, that, or the other. Pleasure is internal. Pleasure is something evokes a pleasure within me. I find it so pleasurable. It gives me so much pleasure. Nothing external has to happen. Even if nothing external changes, nothing happens, it just, I just have such tremendous internal pleasure. Pleasure is very essential. It's the essence of the person. It's pleasure. In comparison to intellect and emotion. This is you. What do you enjoy? What's your, what gives you pleasure? You desire things that gives you pleasure. Things that don't give you pleasure, you don't desire. So when you have an idea, for example, why do some people, conservatives like conservative ideas, and liberals like liberal ideas? The cup is half full, the cup is half empty. They're both right. Not one is wrong or one is right. One is a liberal bias and one is a conservative bias. Where does that bias come from? comes from the pleasure. This is my pleasure. I take pleasure in this approach. And that's why these ideas and concepts that reinforce my approach, I enjoy them very much. I love them. I like them. And those who have a liberal approach, the ideas that reinforce, that make sense and reinforce and justify that approach, they enjoy those ideas and those arguments. But really, what's behind all of it is really pleasure. This is who I am. This is the person. This is the essence. Something evokes, evokes something inside of me. You know, something changes inside of me. Something shifts inside of me. Something changes inside of me. And that's pleasure. 
pure pleasure, pure bliss, pure pleasure. And that's all encompassing. So the intellect, the idea is just like a detail. It's almost like a garment to the pleasure and to the will. It's a rationalization, a detail, a small part. But what's underneath it and what's behind it and what's the essence, it's really the will and the pleasure. So basically, when you study Torah, you're studying the intellect, God's intellect. But intellect is external. So every idea in the Torah and everything in the Torah, it's God's intellect. And God is infinite and His intellect is infinite. But just like within a human being, the, the idea is just an external part of the person in comparison to the will and to the pleasure. The will and the pleasure, that's the person. You want to know what a person, who a person is, I want to know what your desires are, I want to know what your pleasures are, I want to know what your, what your fears are, what your pain is. I mean, who, who are you? You have to go much deeper than just the surface, you know? Ideas, concepts, emotions, that's very superficial, very external. It's just like a label. It's an external part of you. It's not your essence. Your subconscious, your essence is your will and your pleasure. That's who you are. So it's only when you do a mitzvah that you're accessing and you're tapping into the will, the will of Hashem. You're doing the will of Hashem. So by doing the mitzvah, you're connecting, you're touching the divine, you're connecting to the infinite. You're drawing down the infinite. The Torah just explains the reasons and the explanation of the mitzvah and the rationalization of the mitzvah. And, but the mitzvah itself, this is Hashem himself. He says, but when you study the halach of the Torah, when you study that part of the Torah, which gives us the halacha, then you're accessing the essence of Hashem. You're accessing the will of Hashem, which contains within it the pleasure of Hashem. Because wherever there's will, there's pleasure. The will is the external, and the pleasure is the internal. Why do I want? Because it gives me pleasure. So it's the pleasure that, gives me, that brings me the will. Because Hashem has such delight and such pleasure, it gives me so much pleasure. That's why I want you to do this mitzvah. Because this mitzvah is going to give me so much pleasure. So when you study the halacha, which spells out exactly how, what Hashem wants and how exactly He wants it, and it's only when you follow the halacha and you do exactly the way Hashem wants it and all the detail, the way it's all fleshed out and spelled out in the code of Jewish law and the mission in the code of Jewish law and the halacha. Here, you're not dealing with Hashem's intellect. You're dealing with Hashem's will, which is touching the infinite, which also becomes the garment, because the will is the garment that contains within it the pleasure of Hashem. Today, we don't sense that pleasure. That's the reward that will come in the Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden, in the afterlife. And ultimately, that will be the revelation of the infinite that we'll experience with the coming of Mashiach. 
but only because we have the garment and we have the halachot and we have the laws and we have the rules and we study that part of the Torah that we'll be able to receive this infinite Hashem Himself, His infinite self, to receive it without being destroyed by it. On the contrary, we'll be able to receive it and enjoy it. So this is the the halachot the, is basically putting into words, into language. And the language of halacha is really putting into words, into language something that totally transcends words and language and is completely infinite. It's Hashem's internal pleasure. So this is what evokes pleasure. You know, there are words. And there are words. There are words that don't give us any pleasure. But then there are words that like hit home. They're like, every word touches and evokes the deepest part within us. You know, it's almost like poetry. You know, there are words that are flat. They leave you flat. We're drowning in words. And they all leave us indifferent, cold, indifferent, flat. These are words that mean nothing. So you have different types of words. You have words that are foolishness, foolish words, empty words, foolish words, negative words, harmful words. You have words that are not foolish, not negative. They have content, they're nice ideas, but it's limited. It doesn't excite me, it doesn't inspire me, it doesn't touch me deeply. It doesn't stir anything inside of me. Then you have words that are magical. These words just, wow, it's like... These words are just, just touch your soul so deeply, makes you so sore, it gives you so much pleasure, delight. I mean, these limited words are touching something that's beyond words. Feelings and experiences and depth and stirring in my souls, in my soul that's totally beyond words. A poet is able to capture that transcendent experience and capture it. And, to, and to, to the poet, words are magical. So, the, so too the halachat of the Torah, which capture exactly what Hashem wants, tells us exactly the way Hashem wants, how to do the mitzvah, in great specific, in great details, exactly this way and not that way. So it's, this captures not only the will of Hashem, it captures the pleasure of Hashem. It evokes the pleasure of Hashem. You're touching the divine essence. You're touching Hashem's infinite pleasure. You're touching Hashem Himself. If you do exactly this and spelled out this way, these, this, this comes from, this expresses and this taps into and this touches Hashem's infinite pleasure. So that's why studying halacha is head and shoulders is the crown of the Torah. It's head and shoulders above any other part of the Torah. It's so special. you're accessing Hashem's will and Hashem's pleasure. It's contained in that will. Even though we don't feel it now, we don't sense it now, but that is the emes. This is Hashem's delight. This is Hashem's pleasure. This evokes Hashem's pleasure. This captures and touches and taps into 
and stirs Hashem's pleasure in these words of the Allah, in this Mishnah, in this code of Jewish law. So its way transcends every other part of the Torah, which in itself is godly and holy and divine and God's intellect, which is infinite intellect. But here you're touching the divine essence. You're touching Hashem's will and Hashem's pleasure. And the Alter Rebbe embodied it. He's the author of the Shulchan Aruch. He wrote the Code of Jewish Law, the Shulchan Aruch Harav. This is not just a, This was an essential part of who the Alter Rebbe was. And here, for the first time in the Tanya, we're really getting an explanation, a whole letter dedicated explaining what the Alter Rebbe's life is all about. Not just as author of the Tanya, but as author of the Code of Jewish Law. How essential it is. In order to be a Chabad Chassid, just like you have to know the Tanya backwards and forwards and all five parts of the Tanya, to truly be a Chassid of Alter Rebbe, you also have to delve into the code of Jewish law and learn his code of Jewish law and know it backwards and forwards and all parts of the code of Jewish law. And appreciate how this is the crown and the very essence of the Torah. Now in the soul of man, there is a faculty for pleasure. The soul takes pleasure in what it finds pleasurable, as in the conception of a new insight or the like. What does it mean? The soul takes pleasure in what it finds pleasurable. Obviously. <laughs> what? I mean, what else does it take pleasure? Something it doesn't find pleasurable? Because there's a whole, a whole discussion, you know, Sometimes it seems that the will brings pleasure. For example, if a person for whatever reason decides you want to fast, you figured out that fasting is very healthy for you, and you want to fast. So you desire to fast. So as a result of your desire, you'll, dis- you'll enjoy the deprivation of fasting. Hungry, yes, that's very good for me. I want to be hungry. It's wonderful. As a matter of fact, on Shabbos, you're not allowed to fast unless you don't want to eat. You, you hate eating. If eating, if you desire to fast, suddenly the act of eating becomes painful to you. And then you're not allowed to eat on Shabbos. You have to fast because that's your pleasure. Shabbos is the day of pleasure. If your pleasure is by fasting, you're allowed to fast on Shabbos. That's the code of Jewish law states. So your desire can change your pleasure. Eating is a pleasurable thing. We all agree to that. But because I decided and I desire to fast, I turn it around and suddenly now it's the opposite. To fast is pleasurable to me. To deprive myself from food is pleasurable to me. And to eat is, is painful. An example. Just give me an example. It could be anything. You desire something, suddenly it becomes pleasurable. You want something, it becomes pleasurable to you. You don't want something, even something that inherently is pleasurable, I don't want it, it's no longer pleasure. The question is, which brings which? Does desire bring pleasure? Or does pleasure bring desire? That's obvious. Things that I enjoy, I, li- I want. Things that I don't enjoy, that are not enjoyable, I don't want. I don't want something painful, I don't want something that I don't enjoy. Eat the broccoli, but I don't want <laughs> I don't enjoy it, now I can eat it. <laughs> You know, it's bland, there's no pleasure, I'm not interested. 
But this benefit, that benefit, I'm sorry, I don't enjoy it, I'm not interested. Goodbye. It's tasteless, it's bland, it's, 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 I have no pleasure, I don't want it. That's normal, that's natural, that we understand. But we see it also works the reverse. Pleasure brings, uh, will brings pleasure. So which one is it? Is it pleasure that brings will? Or is it will that brings pleasure? And there's a whole discussion. Fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe spends pages and pages back and forth. We see that sometimes pleasure brings will, and sometimes will brings pleasure. Which one comes first? Which one is deeper? Which is the, the cause and which is the effect? What is it? And the conclusion is, they always go hand in hand. Pleasure and will are two sides of the same coin. Pleasure is internal, and will is external. Pleasure is something that evokes something from within me, something stirs in me, delight, pleasure, bliss. My fa- I can't stop smiling, I'm I, just in ecstasy. It's internal, it's the person himself, nothing external. And will is the externalization of that pleasure. Because I have a pleasure, therefore I want. I want this, and I want that, and I want to accomplish this. I want something outside of myself. I turn and face towards something outside of me. This is what I want. It's I, but I want this. Versus pleasure is something inside of me. You could be traveling on a plane, and you just have something is nagging at you, something is tugging at you, that I, I forgot something, and it's bothering you, and it's not nagging. And you don't know what's nagging you. What did I forget? I, I took everything. And then suddenly you remember. It gives you such pleasure. What happened? <laughs> Nothing changed. <laughs> the problem I had before, I still have now. I, I left it behind, but it, it gives me pleasure. A release. I figured it out. I got it. I discovered it. Pleasure is internal. Nothing external. Nothing changed externally. But everything changed internally. It's like a release, a relief. And he uses the example. For example, you figure something out. A new insight brings tremendous pleasure. You're busting your head, you're trying to figure something out, and then that eureka moment, suddenly you get a whole breakthrough. And you feel ecstatic, so blissful. It's such a deep pleasure. What happened? Intellect is not pleasure. The proof is, the pleasure only comes the moment you discover it. But after a while, the idea goes, grows old. And when you learn it a second time, a third time, a fourth time, it's not as pleasurable. The pleasure was, the intense pleasure was only at the beginning, at the moment of revelation. Because intellect is not pleasure. Intellect is external to pleasure. Pleasure transcends intellect. But it's that moment when you have that window to the soul, when you have that access to your subconscious, when you have that that revelation, that uh, communique from your subconscious to your conscious, that transfer of subconscious to conscious, a window opens up, a, a bolt of lightning, and suddenly... The heavens open up. It's a window to the soul. The soul opens up. Your subconscious opens up. That moment, I experience pure pleasure. I access 
pleasure. Pleasure transcends the intellect. The intellect is too limited for pleasure. Pleasure is transcends the intellect. Pleasure is the subconscious. Pleasure is the person himself. Pleasure is all-encompassing. Pleasure is every fiber of your being, every bone of your body. Pleasure is something that's indescribable, bliss, pure pleasure. But how, when do I access it? How do I access it? By that window to the soul, and you have that breakthrough and that moment, that moment you have access to pleasure and you feel intense pleasure. After a while, once you, you already know the idea and once you get used to the idea, just thinking about it doesn't give you the same pleasure. Because intellect doesn't equate with pleasure. The breakthrough, the intellectual insight could help you access that pleasure. It's a window to the pleasure. It's a window to a whole inner reality that's usually closed off to us. And then there's a unique pleasure that comes from our subconscious. The revelation of the pleasure is when you truly understand something fully. There's a pleasure that comes from the eureka moment, that innovation, that excitement, that, that, that breakthrough, that uh, revelation. It's very intense. And you can't help it. Your face lights up because you found something new, a new insight. You just, you just can't help it grinning from ear to ear. It's all over you. The pleasure is written all over your face. You can't hide it. But the true revelation of the pleasure, when do you truly feel that pleasure? When you understand the concept thoroughly. Once you grasp the concept, and for the first time you really spelled it out and digested it and chewed it over and understand it fully, when you're fully able to grasp the concept comprehensively, then you're able to feel that pleasure. You're able to receive that pleasure and feel that pleasure. So there's a tremendous pleasure in figuring something out totally and fully and truly grasping it, truly understanding it, truly getting it. You know, when something really clicks inside and you really understand it and you really grasp it and, you know, because you can know it's something, but you know it vaguely. It's fuzzy, it's vague, it's a sense. So this is very exciting. Yes, it's very exciting. The innovator is very exciting. A very exciting teacher, in a way much more exciting than the analytical, the cut and dry. But on the other hand, once you truly take something that you know and you take that seed and you spell it out and you structure it and you fully understand it and all its implications, there's a tremendous pleasure in that as well. It almost has its own unique source in the subconscious that you access the subconscious by, by only after you fully and comprehensively develop the concept you grasp it, you fully understand it, fully sinks in. And uh, that's, that's when you truly feel that pleasure. So the intensity of the pleasure is a moment of, of revelation. But when do you fully feel and sense that pleasure is only after you fully digest and chew over and grasp the content. But again, it's just a revelation of another dynamic. Pleasure has a life of its own. Pleasure is the person. Pleasure is the subconscious. Pleasure is, is much deeper than the limited intellect. But it's when, through the limited intellect, you access, you tap into, you touch a deeper reality. Pure pleasure. So the, the intellect is almost like a garment. It's a garment that contains the pleasure. It's not the garment. The person that's wearing the garment isn't separate from the garment. It's the garment that contains the person. 
but the garment is not the person. So the intellect is almost like a garment that it contains pleasure. But the pleasure is not the intellect. It's not the idea. Pleasure transcends the idea. So it's, it's external. It's like a garment. The external and hindmost aspect of the soul's power and state of delight is the faculty of will, willing that which it wills, i.e. something that is not painful for pain is the opposite of delight. A person desires something because it gives him pleasure. Thus, pleasure is the inner or motivating aspect of desire, which is considered external in consequence to it. So the pleasure is the internal. So it's two, it's two sides of the same coin. One is internal and one is external. Pleasure is internal, and the, the, we're talking about within the person. Pleasure is the, the motivation, something you enjoy, and, uh, and, that, and what's the external manifestation of that? Will. I enjoy, I want, I desire. I don't enjoy. I find it painful, I don't enjoy. I don't want it. So the will is, tells me, with this will, tells me that there's pleasure. I see the will. Sometimes I don't see the pleasure. But you know that there's pleasure there. Because if there was no pleasure, there would be no will. If there's will, there has to be pleasure. It can't be one without the other. It's, it's, it's the same. It's one and the same. One is internal, one is external. The internal is what gives me pleasure. And as a result, this is what I want. I want to acquire it. I want it. Because it gives me internally, it gives me pleasure. And this is the person. This is the essence of the person. This is the real person. Pleasure and will. The intellect, the emotions, that's almost like a label. It's just external. It's the garment. It's, 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 it's not the essence. So this is within a human being. So continue, metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking, there, it is the same with the infinite, ain't so flight, as it were. The supernal will is the external and highmost aspect, resulting in his own mute and achrayim of the above-mentioned supernal delight, the pleasantness of Hashem, the pleasurable thirst, and the worlds of longing. Thus, when we state that the garment of the soul derives from the achrayim and the chitzoniut, of the supernal delight. This means that it derives from the supernal will. So the will, this is the, this is the lowest level. This is the external level. And it's, this is the, that's why this is the garment that envelops the soul. When the soul fulfills Hashem's will, it does the mitzvah. The will is the external garment that is able to receive the infant. Because it comes from the infinite. It, it's the external of the internal. It's the external of the pleasure, which is the revelation of Hashem. And therefore, when the soul does fulfills the mitzvah, it's enclosed by this garment. And now this garment is, is able, becomes also by the way through which the soul is able to receive the internal, to receive the pleasure, to receive the revelation of the infinite. A couple of minutes ago, we said that, the, that one who studies Torah and the halachot that that becomes the garment. That's why we're commanded. So is it the intellect or is it the will? Okay, very good. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, so first, first he's explaining the, what Arizal says, that you have to fulfill all 613 mitzvot. 
because by doing the mitzvah, this creates the garment. The reason why the mitzvah is able to create a, how is the garment, how is that a garment that enables you to receive the infinite? Because the garment itself comes from the infinite. Because the garment is the will. The will is, is the external of the internal, of the pleasure. So therefore, it, you're tapping into the infinite, and it's also the garment that could contain the infinite. It's like the parable. The parable par- parallels the, the, um, the moral of the story because it, it perfectly matches. It's an ex- ex- externalization of the internal. So the, a, a perfect parable perfectly matches the internal. So the will is the external of the pleasure. So when you do the mitzvah, you fulfill the mitzvah, you ha- you're tapping into the infinite, and that's the garment that also enables you to receive the delight and the pleasure, which is the internal, which is the revelation of Hashem Himself, Hashem's infinite self, Hashem's pleasure. So it's only when you have the mitzvah that you're able to receive it. So Mashiach will come and there will be this revelation of Hashem's internal self. Those who did not fulfill the mitzvah Will, will be obliterated by this light. They won't have the garments with which to, to receive these lights. That's why we've been toiling for thousands of years to fulfill the mitzvot, why the mitzvot and the way of Jewish life, to think like a Jew, speak like a Jew, act like a Jew, 24-7, the code of Jewish law, this is essential. It's not just a detail. This is, this is without that, we missed the whole point. We can't receive the infinite light. And the soul will not be able to, to remain and to receive this infinite light. So it's only by way of the mitzvot and all 613 mitzvot. And that's why we have to go through the many reincarnations in order to fulfill the mitzvot, to receive these garments. So, so f- well, he's developing it. First, he's starting out with the Arizal. First, you have to do the mitzvot. That's a very good question. Though these, the supernal delight and the supernal will, are fused in absolute unity, for Shem and his will are one, and not heaven to offend like the will of man, neither wholly nor partially, there being no similarity whatever between them, man's will is not wholly one with the person himself. It is one of the soul faculties that he possesses. By contrast, our Shem and his will are one. How, how then can we differentiate above between pleasure and will? saying that God's pleasure is internal and His will is external. So there are many, many different levels. You know, in comparison to thought, speech, and action, he writes in the Tanya that the intellect and the emotions, this is the essence of the person, because that's the person. You know, garments are exchangeable. You can change garments. You can't change an idea. Once I understand 2 plus 2 is 4, I'll never, ever be able to understand otherwise. If I have a feeling I love... You can't change it. It's not like a garment. I love. You can't all of a sudden love, hate, hate, love. I mean, I love, I love. I hate, I hate. It's internal. It's the person. Yes, in comparison. Then the Alter Rebbe explains in, in, Hasid, in his Hasidic discourse when he writes in the Tanya that, that the essence of the person are his, his intellect, his ideas, and his, and his emotions, character. That's only in relation to thought, speech, and action. But that's not the essence of the person. There's something much deeper than that. Like he's explaining here, the will and the pleasure and the subconscious. And to, in comparison to the will and the pleasure, the subconscious, even the intellect is just a garment. It's just external and superficial. It's just a rationalization, an explanation, a little taste. But it's not the essence. The essence, the person himself, is the will and the, and the desire and the pleasure. But then you can go even deeper. 
the will and the pleasure are not either the essence of the person. <laughs> it's like a Russian doll. You keep on removing one layer, another layer, another layer. The subconscious is not either the essence of the person. This is the essence of the person. It's even beyond will and pleasure. Will and pleasure, yes, they're all encompassing and they express the soul, but then there's the essence of the soul. It's even deeper than that. Take a Jew, for example. Even if a Jew thinks that he doesn't want and he has no interest in anything Jewish, anything godly. He has no desire, no pleasure in anything Jewish. The answer is it's not true, it's not real. The essence of every Jew is connected to the essence of God, the essence of Hashem. Whether he knows it or not, is aware of it or not, wants it, thinks that he wants, he doesn't want the essence of every Jew even transcends even his will and his desire. As deep-rooted as will and desire is, it's just an expression. It's not the essence. But Hashem, Hashem and his will and his, and his desire and his, is one and inseparable. So how can you say will is external? By a human being, I can understand just like in comparison to the essence, even pleasure is external. So you can understand that will is, a more exter- is external to pleasure. And surely intellect and emotions are external to the subconscious and to the will and to the pleasure. And thought, speech, and action are really external. Truly God. But if Hashem, Hashem and His will are one, inseparable. How could you call it external? Nevertheless, continue. Nevertheless, the Torah speaks in human idiom in order to modulate for the ear what it is able to hear with allegory and metaphor relating to the soul of man which compounds the faculty of delight, will, wisdom, understanding, and so on. Just as in man, pleasure is described as internal and will as external, so too do we describe the corresponding attributes above. This is empirically evident for when a person conceives some wonderful new insight, then at that moment at least, a wondrous delight is born in his mind. Read the note on the bottom, very important, 35. Uh, note of the Rebbe Shlita. The feeling of pleasure, by contrast, comes, as is explained below, in the world to come. And so long as this feeling is lacking, the individual concerned cannot be said to have received the pleasantness. Thus it follows that the capacity for pleasure surpasses by far the faculty of intellect and wisdom, it merely is vested in the faculty of intellect and wisdom. Thus, when a man feels a subject of intellect and wisdom, that is, he apprehends and understands it well, he then also senses the faculty of pleasure, which is vested in the subject of wisdom. That is why in the sacred Zohar, the faculty of Bina is referred to as the world to come. For it is the state of manifestation of Chachmah together with the delight vested in it, which the righteous in the Garden of Eden apprehend and conceive new insights in the Panimia, i.e. the innermost mystical dimension of the Torah. For the Torah derives from Chachma, and the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are entirely one. Thus, through gaining a perception of Panimia in the manner in which the soul apprehends it in the Garden of Eden, where it apprehends the essence of godliness, and this delight itself, as the Rebbe Shlita adds, is utterly inward, as explained above, the soul gains an apprehension of Hashem's infinite light. And in order for it to be able to absorb this degree of illumination, 
it must be equipped with the protective and receptive garments of the mitzvot as previously explained. So, Olam Haba, the world to come in the afterlife, that's where the soul receives the pleasure. The soul basks in the light, in the ray, in the, in the light, in the pleasure of the infinite, the pleasure of godliness. That's the revelation of the most internal part of Hashem. Hashem's essence, Hashem's pleasure, Hashem's internal pleasure that evokes within Hashem tremendous pleasure. That's the internal part of Hashem. And that's what the soul gets to experience and to receive and bask in, that ecstasy and bliss to taste some of that pleasure, that infinite pleasure of Hashem, of godliness, which completely transcends the world. And it only comes as a result of the Torah and mitzvot. It's only when a Jew studies Torah and does mitzvot that you uh, tap into and you touch the infinite, you touch Hashem. And that becomes the garment, the mitzvot become the garment that enable you to receive this pleasure without the soul being nullified, without the soul being, becoming nullified by this experience. Otherwise, it's too intense a light and the soul will be completely obliterated and absorbed within the infinite and lose any sense of self, any sense of identity, any sense of separation. So this is what enables, these are the garments, the mitzvot are the garments that enables the soul to bask and to receive the pleasure of Hashem, this infinite, godly experience, which is inward, it's very internal. But the only way to receive it is through the garment, through the mitzvot. It's not enough to study Torah. You got to live the Torah. You got to do the mitzvot. It's only by doing the mitzvot and actually fulfilling Hashem's will, accessing Hashem's will. That's what he's going to explain in the next segment, which we're going to learn next week. Please God. So it's only by fulfilling the mitzvah that we are able to touch the divine and receive the garments with which to receive the divine, to receive the internal. That's the reward, that's the pleasure, which we generate by doing the mitzvah. Because by doing the mitzvah, the mitzvah contains, the will is the garment that contains what's in the garment. The will brings the pleasure. The will contains the pleasure. We don't feel it now. We will feel it in the world to come. But it's in the air. We generated it. We did the mitzvah. We drew down the will, which brings the pleasure. And then we get to benefit and enjoy that pleasure. We get to enjoy that revelation, that internal aspect. And not only do we get to, to enjoy it as a reward, but we are able to reward to receive this reward and able to enjoy it only as a result of the mitzvah because we have the garment. Without that external garment, you would not be able to receive this joy. So if someone just studies Torah and doesn't do mitzvah, doesn't live Judaism, doesn't practice Judaism, that soul is lost. He can't receive, can't participate, can't partake in Olam Haba and the world to come. But sometimes it's, it's, it's like completely backwards. We get a lot of pleasure in the learning. That's your ple- pleasure. Yeah. That's your pleasure. And it's, and it's intellectual pleasure. Right. I 
I can get pleasure by studying math and science also and playing a good chess game. Um, but here we're talking about Hashem's pleasure. To be able to the connection made to, when you're doing to receive, receive, taste some of Hashem's pleasure. I mean, that infinite pleasure. That's, that's a whole different... How can a finite being, although spiritual and a soul, and sublime, and how can it receive the infinite pleasure? You can't even look at the sun directly. How can we receive Hashem's internal, infinite self? That's only through the mitzvah. That's the garment that enables us and protects us. Because how do we get Hashem's pleasure? Hashem is infinite. Our mind is too limited to receive pleasure. We understand an idea, even within a human being, the idea is limited. So how do we access Hashem's infinite pleasure? When you do the will, when you have the will. When you have the will, the will, when you do the mitzvah, you have the will. That contains the pleasure. And then you have the pleasure, and now you're also able to receive the pleasure because the mitzvah acts as the garment. The will also gives us the garment, gives the soul the garment, which enables us to receive the pleasure and bask in the pleasure and enjoy it. So the mitzvah, the will of Hashem, the mitzvah, and as it will conclude the letter, the halacha, this is essential. This is the key. This is the key. It's not the learning. All of the learning is there to describe the mitzvah, to describe the will. All of the learning explains what Hashem wants. How we learn it, and how do we know it, and, how, how, and what's the reason, and what's it all about. It's all there to describe the will of Hashem. Don't forget, the intellect is just external to the essence. The essence is the will. Hashem. You want to touch the divine? It's only when you do His will. Not by learning Torah. It's the will. That's when you touch it. By living. When you touch the divine, and you're living according to His will, and you're following halacha, and you're living halacha, then you have, you're touching the divine, and you have the garment with which to receive the pleasure that's contained within the will. Because the will is the external, and wherever there's will, there's pleasure. It's the pleasure that's inside. And that will be revealed in the world to come. As Maimonides says, the world to come doesn't mean it's coming late in the future. It means it's here now, but I just don't, can't access it now. If I have the will, I already have everything. It's all contained within the will. When you have the mitzvah, you're already, you have Hashem. You have the pleasure that's within the will. But I can't access it now. I don't experience it now. I don't sense it now. I don't, like you say, I don't feel anything. But the will is there. The pleasure is there. But in the world to come, we'll be able to access it. We'll be able to enjoy it. We'll be able to benefit. So we generate our own reward. It's not two separate things. I do mitzvah, and you behave. Okay, Hashem says, I'm going to give you a nice vacation, a nice reward, a bonus, or whatever. No, no. We generate the reward. That is the reward. When we do the mitzvah, and we, the, what, what it transpires by doing the mitzvah, what we've accomplished by doing the mitzvah, Today we don't sense it, we don't feel it. But Mashiach will come, and even in the afterlife, we get a taste of it. You're able to realize and experience what we've done, all the mitzvah that we've done. And by doing all 613 mitzvah and completely drawing down Hashem's will, and that also gives us the garment that enables us to receive this pleasure.
But this is essential. You know, Torah and mitzvot. Mitzvot is halacha. This is essential to a Jew's life. This is not just a... Uh, you know, the Alter Rebbe lived what he, what he taught. The Torah here is coming to describe and explain what halacha and mitzvot are all about. How essential it is to Judaism and to everything, to reality, to everything that we're doing, everything we're trying to do and accomplish. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.